0: Action! Welcome to Torn Stabs, the trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which could be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We're continuing our celebration of the films of Sofia Coppola
1: as we move on to her fourth film, Somewhere. Joshua. Somewhere is a uh, kind of peek behind the scenes of what it's like to be an an A-list movie star who's kind of not, not necessarily fallen from grace, but has definitely kind of lost the excitement he once had about being in this kind of amazing showbiz life. Um, So it's about Johnny Marco, who's played by Stephen Dorff. And he's just kind of like, he's shacked up in the the Chateau Marmont, the the famous Hollywood hotel where all the celebrities hang out. It's meant to be this kind of like amazing, bustling place to live. And um, he isn't enjoying it as much as you might expect. Then his 11-year-old daughter turns up, Cleo, played by Elle Fanning. The film kind of gradually transforms into... This like bonding uh kind of comedy drama with the two of them, um yeah, Rob, <laughs> how would you describe <laughs> this film I wouldn't I would say, move on <laughs> <laughs> did you see it when it first came out? I did, so I, I saw it when it came out in twenty ten and then I obviously rewatched it for this podcast, and I remember the first time I, I watched it i um I really enjoyed it actually, and kind of I found it really interesting as. a a new way of looking at celebrity a new way of kind of looking at what happens to you know the a-list heartthrobs who have enjoyed this party lifestyle and seem to have it all and then what happens when they get home and either the party is still going and they don't want to be there or they are on their own and there's nothing happening and it's just kind of this quiet sad lonely seeming existence um Watching it again this time, I find it quite frustrating, and I'm getting the feeling from your face that you felt the same way. <laughs> it's just the way my face hangs. <laughs> <laughs> Had you seen this before? No, no? I'd never seen it before.
0: I, I knew she'd made a film called Somewhere, um, but I'd never bothered to watch it until yesterday, and I really wish I hadn't. Oh, come on. I found it really tedious and, and also it doesn't, it just wasn't getting to a point. It wasn't making a statement about anything and the things that it, it wanted to show us, it kept showing us, but it wasn't telling us anything. So you had two scenes of him watching girls come round his house and pole dance, but we don't learn anything. Why are they there? Why is he watching them? It's just
1: pole dancing. But, the, but he looks kind of not, not so much bored as just completely uninterested. But we get that from the first minute. We don't need, you
0: know, a total of six minutes across the whole film of <laughs> these girls pole dancing in his bedroom with their mobile poles.
1: Yeah, it's true. It, it's kind of, I think that, I mean, the, the incredible thing is this script is only 44 pages long. It's funny you should say that because when I was watching the film, I did think this is like
0: a 45-minute extended episode stretched over 90 minutes. Mm. It's like the Simpsons movie with no jokes. It's, um, Which is what the Simpsons movie was.
1: I love the Simpsons movie. Another podcast, Joshua. <laughs> hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? I thought it was really funny. <laughs> I, I think that the thing is, the film seems to think that it's making grander, more impactful observations than it actually is. And there, there, is, there are some really great... Moments in it um but the the kind of the great philosophy of the film appears to be this guy shouldn't be living in the Marmont. It takes him a whole film to realize that he moves out of the Marmont the end you know and and then kind of the the big visual metaphor is the opening of the film where the car is going around in circles, literally. He's driving around in circles, not really getting anywhere. He's going nowhere. He's going he nowhere. He wants to go somewhere. Exactly. Oh, and then the, end, the payoff at the end of the film is he gets out of the car, he ditches it, and he decides to walk instead. And it's just kind of eye-rollingly obvious. Um, and which... unrealistic. Who leaves a Ferrari on the side of the road? I know that. Yeah, it's kind of like you could at least just drive it to a dealership. Yeah, like who's going to get rid of that car for you? That's or so conceited. Yeah, <laughs> I think the problem with somewhere is that it could have been really interesting. The only the only problem is that the the film that Sophia Coppola made before it was Marie Antoinette, and Sophia Coppola herself has said this is a total palate cleanse for her. This was. Her buzzword, like her watchword for this film was minimal, which exactly sums up the film. It is minimal. It's incredibly restrained. Minimal,
0: completely written
1: in lowercase letters. (laughs) That's how minimal it is. In
0: inverted commas. And not in bold, just like the thinnest typeface ever. So minimal. So minimal. In fact, you might even just shorten it
1: to (laughs) min. Min full stop. Min. Yeah, it is. It is um and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't i think that what's interesting is how it's it's a film that ends up appearing to be about how boring it is to be a celebrity which is really surprising because the chateau Marmont is kind of like this fantastic setting for a film all manner of things could happen um but it's it's kind of portrayed as kind of a bit run down, echoey, bland. Oh, it's a shithole. Nothing particularly exciting is really going on it's there. It's a shithole. But hasn't she done that in Lost in
0: Translation already? How boring it is to be a celebrity, a movie star. Yeah. And, that's and what... it was
1: done a lot better. Yeah. And she's been accused of basically kind of trying to return to safe ground after not being quite as successful with Marie Antoinette. In one of the previous episodes, it might have been the last one, you said that... She said,
0: you said that she said, all her films are a reaction to the last one. Uh-huh. So Marie Antoinette was everything louder than everything else. It was so bombastic and so fizzy pop. This one is like a very still glass of fucking
1: stale water. I wouldn't go quite that far, but it's definitely very different. It, it's kind of like, it's almost like a, a, a reflection of... Lost in Translation. It's like Lost in Translation is the really interesting, kind of ornate window that you that you you would see maybe in somewhere at like the Chateau Marmont, and then somewhere is this kind of pale reflection that wants to be as deep and meaningful as Lost in Translation. Like Johnny Marco could be a young version of Bob. Is it Bob? Bill. Bill. Is Bill Murray? Does he play Bob? He plays Bob. Plays Bob, Bob, Bob Harris. He could be young a, a young version of Bob, and it's kind of like could would his life then progress to where he became bob in japan drifting looking for meaning and it it tries to be different in that it's a younger guy he's in this kind of like tween transitionary place where he's obviously had this great party lifestyle and he's now looking for something a bit more meaningful in his life um but i think sophia coppola it's, it's almost like you know how you have to write about what you know and she says that as well she said that a lot in that Her quote is, I feel like everyone should tell what they know in the world that they know. Mm -hmm. And so she knows this world very well. She's been to the Chateau Marmont. She's got the famous um, filmmaking father. But it's almost like she's bored of it. And that that comes across in somewhere where she's trying to tell something profound, but not actually finding it particularly interesting. There's nothing profound to tell about. He's not even a
0: washed-up actor. He's still in demand. He's just on sabbatical because he broke his wrist because he was pissed. Hmm. So it's not like he's washed up. He just seems to be bored. So is he bored of the lifestyle, or is he bored of the fact that he can't go back to work
1: yet? Is he? Is he actually on sabbatical?
0: He broke his wrist, but he still has to go do press. He's yeah. he's, he's in between films. Yeah, yeah. So maybe he can't start the next film until his wrist heals. Uh huh. So his life is. Dull because he's taken out
1: of his privileged routine, well it's, I always think that like it's like any kind of freelancer like you freelance I freelance sometimes there are weeks where you you just have nothing to do you haven't got an office to go and work in it's weird i always find stuff to do well no exactly (laughs) i could occupy Uh, myself in an empty room uh, no in that way (laughs) but we don't have people constantly pandering to our needs when we are working we don't have someone bringing us food and telling us where to sleep and no and that that's something that that pr girl kimmy schmidt is
0: that kimmy schmidt kimmy schmidt yeah I've never seen Kimmy Schmidt, I just know Uh, the name. But that PR girl made me laugh and cringe in equal measure because I've seen that behavior around not even necessarily big stars. I was shooting uh, the media wall, you know, with like logos and people come and stand. And there were like people from TOWIE and other reality shows or whatever they're called. And one of them was doing some presenting to the camera um, for this charity event. And she did like the opening link. It's all pre-recorded. It wasn't live. And this this reality star did the opening link and her PR person started clapping loudly going, yeah, woo, you did it. You Oh, you did it. That's brilliant. Yeah. And it made me cringe. But I've seen that with big pop stars. Um, I've seen that with um, actors where the people around them want to feel like they're 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 contributing, they're doing something, otherwise they'll lose their job if they're seen to not be doing anything. But it has this knock-on effect. Olivia Coleman, brilliant, recently on on the the podcast with David Tennant, she said that she doesn't like that behaviour. She doesn't want people opening doors. She doesn't want people um, asking, are you okay? Do do you want a banana? Do you want me to go get you a yoghurt? Do you have enough coffee? She says, "Just, just... it, it's very nice you want to do that but
1: fuck off I want to go have a piss on my own yeah I think Adele said something like that re, uh, a couple of years ago where she said it's actually it's actually harder to fight not to have people do your washing up for you than it is to just let them do it yeah like, I can imagine had, that she had to really be like I can clean my own fucking clothes <laughs> you don't need me to do I need you to do it for me and you can kind of see that in Johnny Johnny Marco where he yeah, you know, he expects everything to be done for him. Yeah, I'm surprised someone wasn't wiping his ass for him. Yeah, I know. And then you see that also filtering down into his his daughter, who, when she's staying in the Chateau Marmont, that, you know... She's cooking pasta for him. and she's Yeah, she's looking after him, but she's also on the phone to the front desk saying, so can I get three cups of uh, butter and some milk and some yeah, this and that? Just go out and... She could have go gone out, out and, and just got it, it.
0: Shop for it yourself.
1: But she is only 11 years old. Um, she seems to be... I mean,
0: maybe it's the Elle Fanning thing, but she always seems to be ahead of her time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I had to actually Google to find out if she was eleven when she made it because she she's got such a self possession about her. She does not look eleven. How old was she? She was actually eleven. She years was eleven. Yeah, it's crazy. That is crazy. And that, but that she brings such a light and a warmth to the film. Like when she turns up fifteen minutes in, by the way, fifteen minutes with no dialogue. <laughs> there's no talking before she turns up really Jesus. when she turns up the film lights up and it suddenly finds a reason to exist i think i think she stole the film yeah
0: she is it's a really sort of nuanced natural performance it's it's not a stage school performance because, you know, it, it could have been a case of my mommy's not coming back. <laughs> but it's so, it's, so, do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, like little Shirley Temple or that yeah. annoying little girl from Hook.
1: Like a bratty starlet.
0: Yeah. You're just a mean man without a mommy. That one. <laughs> it's extraordinary that an 11 year old could, can have the self-awareness to give a performance
1: like that that completely acts Stephen Dorff off the screen. Yeah, and uh, Sophia Coppola didn't actually want to consider her for the role because she obviously Sophia Coppola is a showbiz family person. Yes, and she knew that, that the Fannings were a showbiz family. You know, Elle's sister Dakota Fanning. Oh, she was the big name. She was. She would already made it by the time. What was she? Elle in? came along. She was in. I, I think we've had this conversation. El Fanning was in
0: The Neon Demon, right? Yes. Right, okay. And we might have had this conversation. Remind yeah. me, because I always forget about these Dakota people. Fanning
1: has slightly kind of shrunk away from the limelight a little bit. She's not really made that many films. She made a really interesting film about a female painter, I think, recently. I can't remember. It was It was pretty good. But Dakota had worked with... Denzel Washington, Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg. She did War of the Worlds, Man on Fire. L. L. Fanning. No, no, Dakota. Dakota, Dakota. By the time this film came out, she was kind of like the fanning. Okay. And then L. Fanning, <laughs> I know. They were fanning on the fanning. They were fanning the flames of success. <laughs> All right, <Oprah>. um, <laughs> <laughs> And L. Fanning had just done Benjamin Button, where she played the younger version of, of. Benjamin Julianne Moore. <gasps> okay, that makes sense. Um, then she did this. Then she did Super 8. Julianne Moore or... Elle Fanning. No, 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 no. She wasn't. Oh, it? sorry, Kate Blanchard? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since I saw that film. I really don't like it. No, I didn't like it at all. But, so Sophia Coppola knew that she was this kind of showbiz family. And she didn't want it because of that. And she was like, nah, I don't really think I want her in the film. And then Elle Fanning turned up, is delightful, like a mm-hmm, ray of sunshine, mm-hmm. and was perfect for the role. And she's just great. She's kind of like. Like when, they're, when, they're, when um, her dad thinks that there's an, an SUV following them, she writes down the plates. And it was like, she's just smart and well-adjusted <laughs> and, and kind of knows the, more about how to deal with the world than he does. Well, that's the character, not the actress. Yes, I, yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I interviewed Elle Fanning a couple of years ago. Really? She was really sweet. For yeah. what? Um, the Matt Damon film that she did. Matt Damon. Um, the Wall. No, it was about the. Oh, we bought a zoo. Oh, we bought a zoo. Yeah, we bought a zoo. We bought a zoo. And I was asking her things like, you know, what's it like at school? Like, do kids, do kids kind of treat you differently because you're an actress? And she was like, Well, oh, no, I don't think so. And she was just really Probably go to out school about it. in LA, so well, everyone's probably everyone's some all like... some sort of Noxema commercial or yeah, something like some that. Some sort of
0: actress. Yeah. Does Johnny develop? I Does mean, his character have an arc? Does he do anything? He. Does he learn anything?
1: He um he starts to come alive. You do you do see him start to to kind of change because he like at the start he's just kind of dead-eyed. He's like a dead-eyed shark. It's just <laughs> nothing is affecting him. If he's not drunk, he's bored you know, or asleep basically. Um and then as as he starts to build this relationship with his daughter who for whatever reason he maybe hasn't spent that much time with Mm -hmm. you do see him the life starts to come back to his face and his eyes and so when he does start crying towards the end when she's not there you understand it and you think yeah this this is the thing that is missing from your life it's not deep it's not particularly um, kind of surprising but I think it is there he does go through a, a transformation Is the film asking us to have sympathy for him? It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I was reading up on this film and what people were saying about Sophia Coppola in particular. And the New York Times, this is a direct quote, um, they they say that her admirers detect in her work a good eye um, and an exactitude with indistinct moods and feelings, which is an interesting way of phrasing it. But they go on to say that her detractors claim that her frame of reference is narrow. So they're basically saying that she is she could be accused of kind of only talking and only making films about privileged people. And then you could argue, should we feel sorry for them? And I think, well, yes, because they're still people. Just because they've enjoyed a certain level level of privilege doesn't mean that they don't have problems.
0: I don't think. Yeah,
1: yes, I
0: agree with you on that. Everyone has problems. But it's all relative. He has a phenomenal life. And yet... He has money. He doesn't have a great life. He lives in one of the most sought-after hotels in LA. It's legendary. He has everyone doing everything for him. And we're expected to feel sorry for him. Because if we're not feeling sorry for him, what are we meant to feel? Are we meant to hate him? And if... If we do, if, if we are meant to hate him, then how can we possibly be happy when he becomes happy or if he decides to check out and leave his car? If he has his success, what's the, is, is the film meant to be leaving us happy or is it meant to be leaving us feeling hard done by because this person that we can't stand, this person who we feel
1: is being a bit of a snowflake, wins? Hmm. I don't know if we're necessarily supposed to feel sympathy for him, but um the thing that I've really noticed watching Sophia Coppola's films is that she likes the I think she likes to invite the audience to bring their own feelings and ideas and impressions to her films. So she's not gonna lay it all out for you. She's mm-hmm. very much kind of an observational director. She likes to have characters in frame. She doesn't she doesn't fuss around really with visuals um to a degree i to mean to a degree she does do some fantastic stuff yeah. um but for the to the main she does she does like to have a character in a frame she likes it to feel organic and she likes to observe and she doesn't necessarily pass any kind of judgment either way i think she wants johnny to exist however we would like him to and whatever we get out of it is our own kind of interpretation i think this is definitely her most stripped back
0: Mm. minimal ambiguous film it's almost like the i can imagine the production meetings they would throw everything at the wall and take then take everything off except one thing per department yeah per aspect would just be one maybe two aspects left up there on the wall on their mood board on their ideas list whatever Mm. it's so stripped back to the point where it's almost you know when people say he's so laid back he's asleep it's almost asleep this film and i think that i found that very frustrating very
1: off-putting i wanted her to get the fuck off the fence and make a point yeah the film the film can be frustrating especially in the first sort of 15 20 minutes when it is very observational and no real point is being made you're kind of it almost, I mean, it's a very clever idea. It's a, it's a risky idea, but it's... Is it risky? Is it? The, well, the idea of letting a character be boring and letting a film be boring to, in order to help you experience what the character is feeling. Yeah, it's, it's kind okay, of a, I can see that. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very bold um, endeavour. Because we've, we've seen films before... With washed-up
0: actors, so to speak, mm. as in the character is washed-up actor. Obviously, Sunset Boulevard, but there is a lot of charisma in that film. Gods and Monsters about James Whale, the director, in and his his later
1: life. There's that um, Jeff Bridges film Crazy Heart about the, the the singer as well,
0: and with Nail and I. Oh yeah, yeah. So they are all these films about washed-up creatives, hmm. but they're highly enjoyable. And almost, not um, cartoony maybe, but not in the Looney Tunes sense. Yeah. This one is, the only way I could describe it, it was like watching the 24-hour Big Brother feed that used to be on <laughs> E4, but without the relative excitement of seeing
1: someone fart and then go to the diary room. <laughs> I don't know. I I think it's a, it's a stylistic choice on Sofia Coppola's part. And I think if her if she was attempting to make us feel as frustrated and and kind of half asleep as her character is, she succeeds and that's great. It's an experiment. You know, she said this is a quote. She said how simple kind of can it be and still be a movie mm. when she's talking about being minimal. Um and you can really feel the film kind of getting right to the edge of that that kind of point where you're like, is this still a movie if nothing's really happening? (laughs) It reminds me of, there was a series of films, I think three of them,
0: that Gus Van Sant made in around, no, not around the same time, before 2010. Elephant, Last Days, and then Something Park. Oh yeah. Um, I know which one you mean, I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember what that was called. But Last Days, it reminds me of this. Or rather, the other way around, because Last Days came first, about a washed up singer based on Kurt Cobain, and you just see him meander through nothing. Mm.
1: The problem is that the high points, when they come in somewhere, are really good, but the problem is Sophia has done it better previously. In so, lost in, translation. In lost in translation. What are the high points you're talking of? Well, the. the um, the cringeworthy press junket situation, hmm. where yeah, like Johnny, Anna Faris, in, yeah, exactly, in
0: Lost in Translation, yeah. and when he's on stage in Italy, yeah,
1: and suddenly the dancers start coming out. There is that great moment when Johnny Marco and his daughter first arrive in Italy, and he is greeted by I want to say, is it a producer? I think it's a producer or the mayor or somebody, and he immediately gets his hand slapped into a cement slab. Oh yeah, yeah, somewhere. yeah, and then he gets kind of lined by an, an interviewer who's manic and just kind of painfully yes like oh so crazy painfully italian so well yeah <laughs> and um there's those moments that are really great and they kind of they really have a, a zing to them but then the film just it just can't match what she did with Lost in translation when so. you
0: do those junkets oh yeah when you get your five minutes to go in yeah. do you get an idea that the people you're interviewing are are dead behind the eyes because this is their seventh day of these fucking junkets and they've asked the same questions over and over
1: again oh definitely yeah like I've, I've had actors who um, sit there eating their dinner because they've been working all day talking to people I yeah. mean, they need to eat at some point so you sit there with the, while they eat their dinner mm-hmm. you get some actors who can be incredibly rude and do not want to talk to you barely look you in the eye I've had that on camera and that was really uncomfortable. Who was that with or can you not say? I'm not going to say on it. You're not going to say you're still no, professional. Sorry. Um, I am a professional. But then sometimes you get actors who, who just, maybe they just operate on a higher level of energy or they've, they're they hopped up on caffeine or something. Tom and, they're, and they're great. Yeah. <laughs> and like, actually I did, there was one junket I did where I had The Rock. Ah. And, um, I had to wait four hours before I actually got to speak to him. Was which, he in the gym? No, which meant that for four hours he'd been sitting in the same chair, doing interviews <gasps> oh, in front of a camera. But his energy was up there, and he was really welcoming, really lovely. What uh, film was that? Uh, Hercules. Oh, this is a long time ago. Then this is a couple of years ago. Yeah. Okay. And the film was actually all right. Um, I only saw it a few years later, but he was. You religious- didn't see it before you interviewed The Rock. No. You had four hours it. to kill. You could have watched it twice. I know. Well, they didn't. It was one of those junkets where they wouldn't show you the film. Oh, so it was rubbish. Then. Either because they hadn't finished it or because they were worried what you'd say. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, and sometimes when they show you the film, it's really painful. Like I watched a Colin Farrell film called Tale of New York, I think, which was really bad. Is that one of his... Um, it was a couple of years ago. His romantic comedies that never go anywhere. It was... No, it was like a, a kind of neo-fantasy oh. type thing in New York. And I had to do the junket immediately after watching the film. I hated the film. I got into the room to chat to Colin Farrell and it was clear he hated the film as well. (laughs) And it was just really, really awkward for everybody involved. It was just painful. So how did you put a spin on it? I just talked about basically everything apart from the film. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me when you worked with Spielberg. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Tell me about the beguiled, Colin.
0: (laughs) Um, You know towards the end when Cleo's going off to summer camp yeah in a taxi good father and then he says sorry for not being around and she doesn't hear him well does she not hear him she's like what does she not hear him or does she actually hear him but she lionises this man so much that she just forgives him completely
1: oh I don't know I assumed that she had heard him I think had heard him yeah I think that they were kind of on a on the path to mending that relationship, weren't they? So maybe she was kind of quite forgiving of him. Was their relationship broken? I didn't I didn't feel any tension. It just seemed like this
0: was a normal thing. He it was his weekend to have her. Let's say that kind of mm. routine. I didn't feel there was any tension there.
1: It wasn't necessarily tension. It was more that he felt different. I think,
0: but she didn't. No. The only time we see her cry is when she's moaning the fact that the mum's gone. Yeah.
1: I don't know really. There's
0: no tension, there's no anger from her towards Johnny.
1: But maybe she's too young for that. Maybe she hasn't she's not fully aware of it.
0: She's aware that mum's going and hasn't said when she's that's, coming
1: back. But that sadness that's not anger or
0: I've 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 seen uh, divorced couples. I've mm. seen the way it affects the kids. You you clearly see the behaviour, even if they don't know it, they're acting in a way Hmm. they will they will show that they are angry, they just might not be able to express that they're angry and why. Yeah. She just seemed like, Oh, let's just go around dads and play Nintendo. Let's go make pasta. Oh, we're going to Italy. Okay, let's go.
1: (laughs) I don't yeah, I don't know. Is it more that she just sees him as a friend? Because she's kind of looking after him. He's not behaving like a dad. Hmm. She she gets to go and hang out in this hotel, That she gets to play air guitar or whatever it's called with his friend who's hilarious. And actually a lot <laughs> of those scenes were improvised. Oh, really? Yeah. F- what's the actor called? Um, Chris Pon- Pontius. He plays Sammy. He's mm-hmm. like, he's really good at improvising and he's really good at working with kids. That's why he was cast. Oh, well him. And so a lot of the, the scenes where he's just talking and she's laughing her head off, that's because it was all improvised. Well, but, but she gets to go and just hang out with her dad and just just do whatever she wants.
0: Who were these fucking text messages from? I know. I think it might be his subconscious, and it's like a really blatant, obvious device.
1: That was one of those things where the only real, the only thing that was really kind of giving the first fifteen minutes anything that had a, a bit of a, a kick to it were the texts. And you're like, who the fuck is sending him these really insulting mm. text messages? But then it doesn't go anywhere. And it doesn't go anywhere, so you just it gets forgotten. But maybe that's um, maybe some random stalker had got his phone number or I can't tell if Sofia Coppola kind of changed her mind about what the film was going to be halfway through because she talked about the fact that she had she just had her second child and she wanted to kind of explore parenthood and parental relationships and she definitely does that in somewhere but it's not the whole film um and it doesn't really have a resolution and it doesn't doesn't say anything hugely resonant apart from he's got a kid they have time together he's maybe thinking he should be more of a dad in her life it's not hugely profound um so it's almost like did she set out to write a story about what it's like to be a celebrity who isn't necessarily doing anything anymore or is it a film about parenthood it feels like there's almost like a third thing that needed to be in there that that just wasn't what about steven dorf it's weird, isn't it? Because Stephen Duff, I only really was aware of him from watching Blade in 1998. I was only aware of him from watching Cecil B. Demented in 2001. Where, what? You saw that before you watched Blade?
0: Yeah. huh? I don't think I've ever seen Blade, to be Blade's honest. Blade's really good. But he, he seems to me, he's a very similar actor to Guy Pearce and very similar to Ethan Hawke. Mm. They all seem to occupy the same space in Hollywood and there's only room for one there's only room for one Leonardo DiCaprio there's only room for one Samuel L. Jackson there's only room for one of those guys so they can't have the spotlight or the success at the same time so they almost have to take turns it seems that Ethan Hawke has the spotlight at the moment because he's just done that film with Paul Schrader and the others will go away then they'll come back then they'll go away. But Stephen Dorff never seemed to get the career that he maybe should
1: get. He's had a really weird career. It's kind of like he's great in this, and I think he's more of like people know who he is. That's why he, that's why he can play this character. He brings his own kind of Hollywood baggage, where you can always you can believe that Stephen Dorff would be a bit washed up and a bit miserable because you haven't necessarily seen him in that much um even though what you've seen him in is is pretty good like he's he's good in it um saying that he is now in true detective season 3 oh brilliant so he's obviously, well done him and he's now going to pass the baton from <laughs> Ethan Hawke and be like <laughs> yeah. now I can be the cool indie guy again you take my room at the uh, the Marmot Chateau or whatever it's called yeah. the Chateau Marmot all oh, right not the Marmot um, Chateau <laughs> <laughs> that's a wine yeah. <laughs>
0: So that was Somewhere, directed by Sophia Coppola.
1: Joshua, give us a clue as to what next week's episode is about. The next film that we're going to watch has a cameo from one of Sophia Coppola's favourite actresses. Be sure to head on
0: to the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Acast and TuneIn Radio app. Hit subscribe, hit
1: follow so you never miss an episode. And let us know what you think about Sofia Coppola. We're on Twitter at Torn Stubbs Pod. Give us your thoughts. We're
0: off nowhere. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning.
1: Cut!